I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. But this little dink ball, the only one in the crowded area where it's a fist pass, the weight is taken over, hits the ground, and it bounces into a fella's chest. Why do you not do many interviews? Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not being asked to do a whole world. Really? Yeah. You ever rang me? And they're roaring at me, I cover you, a free state bastard. <laughs> and next thing I hear, you have no fucking jurisdiction up here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to start off with the matches on TV. Um, lead this weekend we have the Waterford Hurling County Final we mentioned this last Monday it's Rowan Moore are taking on Bally Gunner Bally Gunner are going for um, seven in a row so that's on TG Cahar and there's also a, a pretty random game in Galway club football Anna Down versus Clare Galway are in that Anna Down are Damien Comer's club so it'll be worth seeing him um, in club action imagine trying to stop him um, at club level they are the two games we'll try and get somebody from Bally Gunner um, on the show on Monday geez I'm giving Bally Gunner seven in a row already Lee I haven't even given Ron Moore any any chance yeah no I think they're going for eight in a row actually um, and it's interesting to say I mean Bally Gunner are going for eight in a row but they're Ron Moore Am I right in saying they have a goalkeeper playing outfield? The Waterford goalkeeper? He is, yeah. Uh, Billy Nolan? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I just thought that was really interesting. I wasn't so sure if that was as common in hurling as it would be in football because I've always been up to thinking that, like, if, if you're a really good footballer, you know, you can be, uh, you're make a good goalkeeper, especially uh, those who are maybe in the latter stages of their career, you know, former county players for the club, sort of doing them a favour, because uh, especially with the whole sweeper-keeper thing. But I, I didn't really see it so much in hurling. I think that'd be interesting is... Is that common? Uh, you would say uh, Owen Murphy definitely is the big one, the Kilkenny goalkeeper. He plays outfield for his club. He played minor under 21 um, out the field. It is more common because hurling goalkeepers now have to receive, it's a little bit like football. They have to receive ball. They have their, their passing has to be perfect and they have to be, you know, able to play kind of under pressure. They kind of join into the play um, now as well. So it definitely it definitely is uh, is common enough or more common than, than you think, I'm sure. There's Tyrone Club football kicking off. They've given the, they've given the boys two weeks uh, is it two or three weeks since they won the All Ireland? Um, one, of, I think it was the seventeenth or the eighteenth. So yeah, two well, weeks. it'll be two weeks. But 
this is the preliminary round, so there's only two two games on, and then it'll go into the, to the first round next week. So yeah, this week it'll be Arbo v Dremore, which will be a really good game. Uh, Arbo, they went out fairly early last year, but in fairness, they came up against Dungan and Clarks, who went on to win it, and they took them right to the wire, went to extra time, and you know uh, the Clarks only won uh, by the skin of their teeth. So they, they have a lot of confidence behind them. You know they've got Michael O'Neill, who's obviously county. Um, Kyle Coney, who used to play counties for them as well, and Shane McGuigan. So they're like a lot of big names, and they'd be really going for it. But they came up against Dromore a lot in the championship, and Dromore have always seemed to just they just had their number, you know. And they've got uh, Niall Sludden in their ranks as well. So yeah, it'll be a really interesting game. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Moy are playing as well, are they? You're telling me Sean Cavan is playing centre back. I always love um, the inter county player. Going back centre back, Sean Cavan obviously known for his um, forward runs and for his scoring as you get on in years. And I can say this um, from having played a bit of junior, I'll never play in the forwards for the juniors again. It's ridiculous at, as you get older, having someone mark you tightly that's way younger than you. you it's just, uh, you can't do it the older you get, unless you're one of these really accurate fellas who could just stick it over from any angle. Uh, when you get on the ball the only place to finish off your career in is at a holding number six it ticks all the boxes Lee yeah um, well what's really interesting about it is is that he's actually the manager as well he's been player manager this last couple of years so that's the role he's picked for himself (laughs) (laughs) that's what I need to do I need to I need to manage the junior team yeah so I mean he obviously sees himself as that's where he's best fit now he's been very honest since um, retiring from Tyrone that like he suffers a lot with injuries and like chronic injuries and pains and things. So probably just doesn't have the legs anymore for midfield, um, as you were sort of saying. And then he had his most successful year for Tyrone as, as a as a full forward, but he, he said openly that he didn't really ever enjoy that. Um, even even in 2008 when he got player of the year and stuff. So yeah, yeah he sees himself at six. He can put himself wherever he wants. Um, he's been playing there in the league anyway. I was scrolling through all their Facebook pages, the Facebook page to see... Um, all the team photos and stuff. And yeah, he's, he's always lining out at six. So, I mean, they're up against Derry Lachlan, who had always have been, um, growing up, I had always seen them as like an intermediate team, but they've been promoted since 2017 and they've really held themselves well. So yeah, an, an, another interesting tie. Yeah, come to think of it, if I was managing the Portlaoise seniors, I'd probably pick myself at centre-back. That's how delusional um, I probably would be if I was player-manager with them. Other bit of news in hurling is Michal Donoghue. He's out of the Galway job. And like, I mean, the information I have on this is that Michal Donoghue was never really in for, for the Galway job. They never really got to negotiations. It's not like he's fallen out with the county board. He was sounded out for it. Um, and he pretty much uh, told him for the same reasons as he left in 2019 is that he can't commit. So I'm not sure there's a huge story here. I think this might have been more of a media story. The minute he was linked to it, you know, jumping on it now looks like it, it's big news that he's pulled out when I'm not sure that's actually the case. You know, he had a falling out in 2019 with the Galway County Board and he had his own personal reasons. So I think they're all, you know, similar reasons why he's not even going in. Um, you know, to negotiate what he wants for, you know, to be manager or anything like that. So it looked, apparently, uh, Davy Davy Fitzgerald, a lot of people are linking him to it. He's not in the running. They have four candidates um, and he's not one of them and they want to announce the manager next week. So it doesn't look like it's going to be Michal Donoghue or Davy Fitzgerald. They're probably the two names that have been linked for the last two weeks. Yeah, no, I mean, it's completely up in the air at this stage. A uh, little disappointed to see that Davy Fitz wasn't even in the in the four. You know, I just wanted uh, that element of hope. And like I said, that's purely from a neutral. And I know a lot of Galway people aren't exactly, um, wouldn't be thrilled with that. 
with that news. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I suppose a lot hasn't changed since 2018 in terms of Donahue. So, I mean, if you couldn't commit then, what, what could really have changed? Yeah, in, it's in not such a short period of time. Yeah, it's not exactly like it's 10 years on or five years on. Yeah. Larry O'Gorman has been talking about this is Davy Fitzgerald potentially uh, joining Galway. And he says, like, he was asked about it and he said it would be strange after Davy just leaving us and then he would go to the opposition straight away. You wouldn't be calling it great loyalty, to be honest, uh, says Larry O'Gorman. And then I was thinking, what loyalty really has Davy to Exford? You know, it's not clear. Like, the reality is to a lot of these outside managers is that. There isn't necessarily a loyalty to the county that they're managing is they go in and they do their very, very best for the county that they're managing. An awful lot of them um, are being paid. It's a job for them. It's almost like a professional kind of situation. You go in, you do a professional job. You're obviously worried about your own personal reputation. You want them to do well. But when you leave them, you know, other than a bond or two that you might have with the players you managed, is there any loyalty? Does Davy need to be loyal to Wexford? I don't think he needs to be, no. Um, like It's like you say, it is a job. Of, I mean, so, some managers fit certain counties, even if they're not from it. And he, he seemed to have a really good fit with Waxford. He had really good relationship and bond with a lot of the players. And they had a lot of success. Um, I think, too, with a manager like that, like David Fitz, I mean, when you have him, I think you just have to back him because he's going to, you know, you're going to be all over the media and stuff. And he, he's going to throw... Um, his tantrums on the sideline and everything else. So you just got to back him and say, no, he's passionate, he's enthusiastic. So like after like a few years of backing him so strongly and, you know, really getting behind him and accepting him for all of his faults and taking his benefits with that. Uh, and then he, for him to leave and go elsewhere, that must be really hard to take. Um, so that is, it's more of an issue for, for fans and maybe the players. But in Davey, from his point of view, like, I mean, you know, he left the role. It's not, it's not his job anymore as such. Yeah. So like he, he's free to go elsewhere. It's not his job or his county. We have two contrasting situations with outside managers. Like we have Jack O'Connor, who was an outside manager with Kildare. The minute he got a sniff of the Kerry job, he was gone. Now, Kerry's his own county. So, like, I mean, you wouldn't really hold it against him. You have a chance of winning in All-Ireland again with your own county versus, you know, no chance of winning in All-Ireland with Kildare. Now, Kildare would say he, he had no loyalty to them whatsoever. Then you have Liam Cal, who's on the other end of the scale, who had a chance to manage his own county. Um, and decided to stay with Waterford as an outside manager. Now, Liam Cal talked about being loyal to the players. Like, Liam Cal, I'm not sure he'd care too much about Waterford. Like, if Tipperary were playing Waterford, you know, if he wasn't involved, he's obviously a Tipperary man. So his loyalty doesn't seem to be to Waterford. It seems to be to the bond, you know, that he that he has created mm-hmm. with the players in Waterford. Yeah, that too. And, like, also, you know, the Tipperary job isn't disappeared for him. You know, like, somewhere down the lane, he could probably still get it. Well, for Jack O'Connor... This probably is the last crack at the whip. I mean, it's hard to believe he's even getting a third stint. Um, I'm sure he didn't think that was going to be a possibility in, in 2012. Yeah, well, he did win three All-Ireland, so I suppose it's, yeah. uh, you know, and two of them were in his first year. But anyway, we talked a little bit about that. Tom Cribben's another one. He he looks like he's going to be the new Kildare manager, an ex-manager of mine. He's going to be the fourth Leinster County that Tom Cribben um, has managed. He's managed Leash, Offaly, Westmead, and now it looks like it's going to be Kildare. So where's Tom Cribben's loyalty, Lee? What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, I definitely can't speak for him. I mean, the only thing I can say is that, like, some people are just, they're so obsessed with the GA. Like, I mean, I like to think that, you you know, you and me, we love the GA. We're big fans and we play it and stuff. But, like, some people are borderline obsessive and they see it as an education. They have a real thirst to learn. And, like, any logic will tell you if you sit in the one spot, you're not, you'll only learn so much. You know, you have to travel, you have to move, and absorb everything from different counties and provinces and whatever else. Um, so maybe he's just, like, 
a GA. He's, he's loyal to the GAA. That's maybe one way of putting it, you know, and he, he wants to learn as much as he can. And or, or the other way is, you know, he's got a wandering eye. Like he likes to get around. Yeah. Well, look, he just likes managing inter, at inter-county level. He gets his kick out of it. I'm not criticising Tom Cribben. I really liked Tom Cribben um, when he was managing Leash, even though I dropped off one of his panels. But that was said more about me um, than it probably did about him. It's 15 years since Kildare had a manager that lived in the county. So like Tom Cribben is a Kildare man. I'm pretty sure sometimes I get it confused with Offaly. Um, yeah, so it looks like he's going to be going to be uh, confirmed as the Kildare manager. If you're talking about getting an education by moving around counties, how about this? Rory Gallagher, he's just on another level, right? So Rory Gallagher played club football in four different counties. He played for Aaron Gales in Fermanagh, Crosserlock in um, Cavan, St. Gall's, in Antrim he won an Ulster and an All-Ireland with them and he won a Leinster club with St Bridges in Dublin he played county for Fermanagh and then he went to Cavan and then he went back to Fermanagh and then he dropped off the Fermanagh panel and he's managed three counties he's managed Donegal Fermanagh and he's currently the Derry manager like I mean there is not a more travel is there a more travelled man in the history of Gaelic games than than Rory Gallagher and no, I don't think so. And and when you talk to Rory Gallagher, if you ever hear him um, in interviews, and even he was recently on on a BBC podcast, uh, that that that's a man that's that's obsessed and and he's well educated, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and photogenic memory in terms of everything too. Like he feels everything. Um, I was talking to some of the boys in Derry, and like like he knows every player in Derry, despite you know he know that's actually not one of the counties or clubs that he or he played his football in. Um, he's so astute in what he studies. And I think he just sees like different opportunities. He's just a hugely ambitious guy, and the GAA is his vehicle to uh, try to you know succeed and meet his ambitions. And like he's doing a fair job at it. To be fair, um, like he's had success at uh, uh, a playing career club, some of the county. Well, the fact that you played for two counties to me, I think that's that's hugely impressive. You know, yeah. Well, like, it I must mean, be weird well, though, well, like putting on the jersey. Yeah. Well, like I mean, I most of you people wouldn't say that's impressive. Like I mean, the, the whole hashtag one life one club goes around. Like I mean, that that's it. That's not the reality for a lot of people. It's definitely unusual to play for four clubs, like I mean, and two counties. Like Billy Sheehan, who uh, next teammate of mine, he's the only one that rivals him. He's played with Austin Stacks, Emo in Leash, St. Jude's in Dublin, Cratlow in Clare. He's also played club championship with UCC and UCD. He's played inter-county with Kerry in Leash. And he's coached the Cork footballers and he's coached the Offaly footballers. Like, I mean, that's eager. So Billy Sheen has played in six different club championships. I mean that's that's just crazy. <laughs> like he's a, he's a, he's a well travelled man. Did you you played with him then? I mean, what what was what did he talk about? Like when he was putting on the leash jersey and stuff. Like I mean, sure, did it not seem strange to him, or did he just take it all on on his? Well, you see, Billy, Billy well, I suppose, was living in in leash when he transferred up to leash. Like I mean, he, he came in under Mick O'Dwyer and he I think he hadn't he had got a chance with Kerry but I'm not sure he was regular in Kerry. It was just a natural thing to move up um, to leash. He moved to a leash club. On the back of that, then he moved to Dublin. Then he moved to Dublin. Um, <laughs> he joined the Dublin. It's it. And then he obviously went to two colleges. I'm not sure the Cratlow. I know he's married to Marie Crow and she's from Clare, so maybe that's how the Cratlow thing. I, I actually didn't know about Cratlow until somebody told me uh, today. I don't know where the hell Cratlow came out of. I don't know. It's just it just seems to be um, wherever he moves around, he calls home and joins the club of the area. And that that must be the way the way it works for him but it's it's definitely like I mean I joined Parnells and I'm getting nothing but grief about leaving my own club to go join Parnells that's only one club and then I came back so I don't know what everybody gives me um, um, grief for moving on from that this is something that's really really pissing me off um, Lee and it seems to be only happening up in Ulster 
So the Northern Ireland Health Service has given the go-ahead to open up the dressing rooms. The GAA, with their stupid idea that you can only allow six in, that we're giving out about on the show, going, what the hell? Where did you pull six out of? How can you not just let lads in and get a shower after training? That's not the end of the world. And that's the people who want to go in and get a shower. If you don't want to go in and get a shower because you're worried about, you know, the enclosed space, don't go in. That's how the world works. Amazingly, Lee, and you're going to have to explain this to me because I can't get my head around it. The counties in Ulster, Tyrone, your own county being one of them, um, have still have the dressing rooms closed. They know more than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. This is a tough one, but I'll do. I'll do my best because I've, I've done a lot of a lot of thinking about this and, and reasoning behind it. And the only defence I can really give them is that, unfortunately, up here in the north, everything's got political complications with it. Um, so there's a a minority, but staunch segment that would see the GAA as like a strand of a certain strand of republicanism right and they often use that as a stick to beat the GAA with you know um so like if you look at last year when the Gannon Clarks won the championship it was the first time they won the championship in like 60 years or something uh it went to penalty so it couldn't have been more dramatic like a fashion I remember it, yeah. it yeah and then so everyone floods onto the pitch like as you would expect you know it's absolutely crazy you know they've been dreaming about this they've never seen it before and um, everyone's going crazy but uh, Stephen Nolan, who's a presenter at BBC, like a really popular public affairs radio show, he tweeted about what a disgrace this was because of social distancing and this, that, and whatever else. Then he talked about it on his radio show. Then the newspapers picked up on it, and all, it was all over the newspapers. And now the spotlight was on all of the GAA teams. Right. So the following week, it was like Fermanagh, they, they won their, um, that county final. They all ran onto the pitch, same thing. Or they tried to ban it as well. And then the same happened with Slockneil and Marherfeld, I think in the dairy final. So like Arlene Foster came out and was like, oh, the GA are disgraced. They don't care about COVID and think of the hospitals and, you know, and just using the GAA like as a weapon nearly. Yeah. Um, I remember something to like, I remember, yeah. I remember that all going on, but are we not past that now? Yeah. You know, like well, we mean, are, we are, but my, uh, my thinking is that like, this is just why they're being so unbearably uh, cautious. Yeah, you know, yeah. They're just like, and I don't know what it was like down south, but like even like when my club, if someone had COVID and we couldn't play a game or something, like it made it onto the news. You know, it was just like, oh, club had a shutdown. You know, they over exaggerated to like shut down. You know, it's just like just had to wait a couple of days. Yeah. Um, and then we could hug all again once he sorted out like who was in contact and who wasn't. Um, but it made the news, and then everyone just was so desperate to uh, avoid being under that spotlight. So I, they're being hugely overcautious. That's just it's just another reason of why they're being overcautious. It doesn't mean they're right. It's, I mean, because they are wrong. They, they absolutely should be open at this stage, especially now that we're well, more or less in October now. Like, I mean, that's that's when things the weather is going to be drastically changed in the next couple of weeks. Uh, looking at our own championship schedule, the finals not to the fifth of November. Like, it'll be freezing by the end. I mean, I'd be I'd be really annoyed. Like, if I couldn't get into a changing room by that stage. Yeah. Why do you call them changing rooms and not dressing rooms? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I've never, I've never thought about it. I don't know if that's an Ulster thing or a Tyrone thing. I just, just always call it a change in room. Yeah, because I'm reading straight from the. I actually had it highlighted. I'm reading, reading straight from the Irish News. This is who was reporting this. They said changing rooms have also reopened in Derry, but in Tyrone, down Fermanagh and Antrim, they remain closed. And I was like, why are they calling them changing rooms? And now you're after calling them changing rooms. Maybe it is a, 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 a Tyrone thing. Ulster Council Secretary Brian McAvoy said the weather is still okay, so some of the county boards are keeping them closed 
closed for as long as they can get away with to keep people that bit safer. And my, my idea on this, who the hell does he think he is that he's deciding what keeps people safe and what doesn't? Or how does some GA official think they can decide that when the health authorities, and I have my own issues with the health authorities telling you what to do with these random guidelines, but when they do open the door to open them, some random GA official thinks he knows better about, how about I keep myself safe, buddy, and I go into a dressing room if I feel like I want to myself, and I'm an adult, and if I don't want to go in, I won't go in. I do take your point, I never thought about that, that that, that criti- huge amount of criticism they got last year that they're trying to overcompensate for it um, some way. That, that, that might make a little bit of sense. Yeah, I mean, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, he's talking about safety for players and stuff, but I, I do think that it's like, and I, I don't know anything about him, but it's more safety for reputation. And right. Like, if, you know, if, if they, and even even talking to clubs, I was trying to get um, some uh, county members on onto the show. None of them would come on, but like they were telling me that like they're just sort of being sly about it. Like one day they all just showed up, and I was like, right, you can use the changing rooms. You know, there was no announcements on Facebook. There was no what, not even mentioned in WhatsApp groups. They just showed up, and I was like, right, get into the changing rooms, and you know, and no no questions asked. Just get on with it. We're still focusing on the match, like trying to make it go so under the radar, and that it almost like didn't seem like it's happening. And that's like a handful of clubs that I spoke to. Um, or are they maybe just saying that now because I rang them? Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, so I think they're just trying to do it as, as smoothly as possible, and then they put out the official um, statement to say that they won't do it. But, but like, it's a reputation thing, yeah. I think they're uh, being mindful of the potential scrutiny. I was I was talking to one intercounty player um, who I won't name was telling me during the week that when he was playing training with his county, they weren't allowed to use the showers. Um, they were told no, no, you can't use the showers. And then on the Sunday after a league game, they're allowed to use the showers. So like, I mean, there's no, you know, you're allowed to use them after a game, but after training, that's out of the question. You know, this is the kind yeah. of thing that you're dealing with. There doesn't seem to be any common sense applied to it. Stevie McDonald, who is managing uh, uh, Clono, um, he's been given out about it. He's talking about the play Ergil Kieran on on October the tenth in Eden Dark. Eden Dark don't have any. Um, stand area. They're going to be uh, changing and togging out in in the in the dugouts and and you know g- given team talks. Um, there isn't any kind of area where they, where they can actually do anything. October the tenth, they're going to have to change this. They really because at the end of the day, if they're talking about player safety, getting drowned in ten degree weather and then having to go home, you know, imagine how cold you get standing yeah. outside. It's half time. You fifteen minutes drowned wet in the cold like you couldn't you wouldn't even want to go back onto the field in the second half like, no. that's it like and if you're someone who's um, came off injured or you were substituted early on and you just built up a sweat and then you're coming off and you're, you're going to be absolutely freezing at that stage um, and then the first substitutes to even start with they're just going to have to be warming up constantly like I mean yeah. because otherwise they're just standing there and, and you get stiff, you know, it'll encourage injuries as well because you are literally standing if there's if you're not allowed to use the dugouts in some situations. But other than that, I mean, yeah, get, getting changed outside and then the team talks and the, like obviously now because the fans are back and that's brilliant. But, you know, there sometimes like with the way the layouts of some pitches, the fans are on top of the sub benches and, and where the management might be uh, making their team talks and stuff. And like if you're in the opposition area, um, they might be giving you a bit of grief and whatever else, you know, it's like, that halftime talk and even even before the match and stuff, you know, like there's usually a, a you need a sanctuary for it, you know, where everyone can come in, listen, um, build it up together, say whatever it needs to be said, you know, with nothing leaves this room, that sort of mentality, and then and then go out. But yeah, definitely the main issue for sure is is the weather at this stage. You, you got away with it no problem with July and August and stuff, and um, but there could be like 
people will be getting frostbit, that's for sure. That's it. Well, half time is going to consist of a team talk, a couple of tactical switches, and then a warm up for the second half. Like, I mean, that's what we're going to be dealing with um, for half time uh, when, if, when, the, when the weather keeps uh, disimproving the way it is. Like, you talked about not being able to get anybody to talk about these dressing rooms. I can't get anyone, Lee, to come on this show and make an argument against plan B for the championship restructure. I can't do it. I can't find anybody. The only one out there is Jim McGuinness and he doesn't answer the phone to me. So like, I mean, there, there is the only one. There's nobody who is out there. Like, this is incredible. I did a poll on my Twitter account. Now, about over 4,500 people responded back to this, which is a good sample for a poll. Like a lot of national polls might be only a thousand people for radio stations and things like that. And they're able to read in um, just from that. Four and a half thousand people on Twitter, now we know Twitter isn't exactly representative of the entire country, but at the same time, it's a decent sample size. You're looking at 80% um, final results um, support for Plan B. You're looking at 10% for moving the teams around the provinces and you're looking at 10% to stay the same. Like this is overwhelming. Now what worries me, Lee, is that the GPR behind this Players or managers are behind this, but the people who are voting have stayed very quiet. Like Croke Park have not come come out and said anything about this, and this is what worries me. The delegates in 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 Congress are influenced about from what Croke Park, what the president, what the director general, you know, what money could potentially filter down. I remember when Parik Duffy, the director general at the time, was trying to sell the super eights. He did a national tour of county boards selling the super rates to them and telling them what money would drip back down to them through, you know, the increased revenue. I see none of that now, Lee. I see nothing but silence. And I'm very concerned that there's overwhelming public support from supporters who, who would have been on that Twitter poll, inter-county player support, GPA support. But the support from the people that you really, really need to influence the delegates seems to be completely absent. Yeah, it's radio silence coming from that end of things. And I, I suppose, yeah, that, that can be concerning. I was trying to think of the logistics of it, of like, because well, what are their priorities? And, and, you know, I mean, maybe they think it's impossible to, like, conduct or something. I don't know what, what in terms of what, what's going to be the biggest hassle for them. Uh, I, it is just curious that they're not even, there's not even a split. You know, there's not even someone, at least one person coming out and saying, no, we should say the same or it no. should be plan A, at least. You know, there's not even like that where we can get like a gauge of like, but well, he thinks that, but everyone else pretty much thinks plan B. Like it's just across the board silent. And you're like, I don't know. Do you, I, I sort of take that as they want things to remain the same. Me too. Um, They were very, like you were talking about the, the super eights. Remaining the same would be backdoor on the super eight process. Um, That sort of uh, structure. So they backed so heavily behind that, you know, and they really wanted to get that going again. They're maybe not willing to sacrifice it. Well, that's it. It doesn't look like that. I was uh, on to John Horan yesterday, former president, and he said he's backing Plan B. Uh, see, this was J- John Horan's thing. John Horan was a progressive president, I think. Um, Aegon O'Farrell before him was a dead duck. He did nothing for his three years. Liam O'Neill before him was a progressive uh, president. But John Horan commissioned the Fixture Review Committee who came up with these two proposals. So if John Horan was still president, Lee, which, um, you know, he would be putting his voice behind this because this was kind of his thing, right? Larry McCarthy has come come in. What's Larry McCarthy's thing? Nobody knows. Charlotte Burns was the overwhelming uh, you know, kind of popular choice as president and Larry McCarthy came in at the last minute. What was Larry McCarthy's kind of, you know, kind of selling point when he became president? He didn't really have anything. 
He said nothing yeah. of he said nothing of note since he's come president, other than words matter. Please be nice to our players online. Um, like I mean, so my concern is is that Larry McCarthy is more than happy with the championship the way it is, and that's why Croke Parker saying absolutely nothing. Tom Ryan, God love him, you know, isn't doesn't have very strong opinions on anything. I've had him on the show, and we're at a situation where we're, this is a huge moment in the GEA, and you, you've got Croke Park not leading the delegates that probably need to be need to be led. Like Colin O'Donoghue, who was on that fixture review committee, did a piece in the Examiner where he outlined how much more revenue will be generated, and that just makes sense from seven big championship games in each division. You know, versus a knockout provincial, it just goes. It makes sense that they'll make more money if they wanted to sell it to county boards. They could sell it, but they're not. Which you're right. It makes me incredibly worried. And another thing, like the GPA, it's great that they're back in Plan B. But let's be honest, the GPA back in Plan B would almost be like a red rag to a bull with the delegates. Like the GPA strongly opposed the Super Eights. Then nobody pays any attention to the GPA. Yeah, no, they're, it's not a great thing to have on our side, is it, at <laughs> this stage? Um, no, it's, it's just so frustrating because, like, when you don't want them to change anything, they're changing rules and picking <laughs> things here, there, and everywhere. And, it's, and it feels like they don't consult anybody. And then this time, it's like, it's actually democratic. They put it to the people, you know, to get feelers for it or whatever. And then there's going to be a vote. And, you know, they even extended the time. So it's October 23rd now instead of uh, a few weeks ago. And that they're going to be doing it to give time for that to process and people to understand what, what's going out or, or what the options are. And like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's meant to be democratic. Like uh, they're, they're the ones who should be doing all of the talking rather than us, you know, and they're coming forward and arguing every point. And if some of them really believe in uh, things staying the same, they got to come out and tell us why and give all of the reasons why. And if they can't stand by them and the people don't agree with it, then, you know, th- there's not no leg to stand off, stand on. But, being radio silent is, is just uh, it, that, that's the biggest fear for me at this stage. Um, it, it's telling you, I, I just take it as, yeah, completely that they're going to keep things the same. I don't think plan A or plan B will be an option, um, but they'll definitely have some random rule change in the middle of it all, too. That'll they'll think it'll help. I was speaking to someone, I don't want to mention this person as well, um, in the last couple of days, and let's just say this person had a very, very high, um, held a very, very high position in the GEA in the last 10 years, very, very high. And I was I was given out to him and I was saying, this is a, this It is a joke. Congress is a joke. Everybody says that she is uh, democratic. It's not. The delegates can go there and they don't even have to follow the mandate from their county boards because it's all held in secrecy and nobody knows what they vote. And they actually voted to make sure nobody would uh, nobody would know how they voted a couple of months ago or a couple of congresses ago. So I says, how is that democracy? And the person started laughing and he says, are you only figuring that out now? <laughs> are you figuring that out now? <laughs> and like I, like I says, no, I'm not figuring that out now. I just can't believe you're agreeing with me. Yeah, look at the fact that he's so open about it. Yeah, It's a serious lack of tran- transparency and like a lot of um, in politics and stuff, you have like scrutiny committees, you know, and it's like every couple of years or every term or whatever. And that committee, like, it judges them and it says, well, they should no longer be here there because they make these decisions and no one knows why. Just everything's out in the open and everyone can see the thought process behind it and the re- the reasons behind the decisions that are made. You don't have to agree with the reasons, but at least you know them. Um, but, yeah, the fact that, that we don't even have to know, like, they can keep everything uh, in the shadows if they want, and that is what they're doing. Um, so that, that'll tell you that they're definitely going against the public poll because, 
you know, if, if they were all really behind Plan B, uh, I mean, it's the easiest thing in the world to sell at this stage because the public have been vocal about it. So, yeah, yeah, I'm not feeling good. No, well, that's the thing. I'm, I've been, I've reached out to the to Crow Park, and I've been told that they'll they'll do some media closer to the to the Congress. I would like to see a two week, three week kind of build up to it, and you know, get that point across rather than last minute stuff. So I'm hoping to get maybe Tom Ryan or Larry McCarthy on the show. Um, close enough to that Congress to see what to say. I actually think, Lee, just before we go off this point, because Enda McGinley is coming up in part two to chat about, a bit about this, I think Plan A should be taken off the table. I see no support for this whatsoever. Um, nobody's agreeing that, you know, the counties... Um, nobody's agreeing that counties should leave provinces and they're not even... The, it's not like Donegal are going to, the, to boost up. Uh, Connacht. It's for man. You know, it's the weaker counties being moved around and it's not going to do anything to stop the hammerings. Uh, and what I think is when delegates look at that and go, ah, that's silly. It, you know, it might have the effect of thinking the two of them are silly and it'll dilute votes as well. Wouldn't it be much better when you see so much support for Plan B to just go, here's your option in Congress. Plan B, sell it at Congress. I'm more than open to go in and sell it to anybody um, if 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 that was ever needed, not that it, I would ever be asked, or stay the same. Do you get me? Three options yeah. uh, kind of confuses things. I always look at the language in terms that they present things as well. The fact that it's even called Plan B, it sounds like it, oh, that's a backup. You know, it's not the it's not the main priority. So even just that, and then Plan A is so ludicrous that like I mean, anyone who takes the time to read it. They may not bother looking at Plan B. So yeah, I totally get you. I totally get your point in that behalf. I mean, the moving counties thing. I mean, it's, it's nonsensical. I mean, because geographically it's not correct, so it's just all a big lie, and it's all just made up. And I don't really understand it. And then, like you say, they're moving like the likes of Fermanagh and the smaller counties into other provinces, just so they'll get hammered by a different province, you know. And, yeah. and maybe the fans will have to travel a little bit further to watch it in certain um, circumstances. So none of that makes sense at all. And I, I, I haven't heard anyone backing it. I don't. I don't know where it even really stemmed from because I, I don't understand, uh, given the, the problems that the GA has in terms of the structure and the things we're trying to fix, I just don't understand how that it fixes any of them, um, apart from it just being an alternative uh, and we need a change and people are talking about a change. So, yeah, it should definitely just have, it should just be plan B or stay the same. And, like, I mean, it's a no-brainer for me at this stage, but uh, I, I would definitely love to see the, the plan A off the table because, um, I mean, even the fact that they're not even talking about it and, and what's wrong with it as well. Like, I, I just want to hear... I, I'd love to actually hear someone back it and uh, even and a minority, obviously, but just to hear what they're saying so that yeah. the rest of us can like understand it, take it apart, and then we can clarify things um, because no one... No one knows, and it's just there's so much uh, secrecy shrouded around it all, and and yeah, we're just left in the dark. Yeah, and I'd love somebody to come on and say that they hate uh, Plan B, so I can ask them on the show and have a good argument with them. But I can't find anyone yeah. who <laughs> can't find anyone. It seems to have universal approval um, and ticks all the boxes. Anyways, we will leave that off there. Some brilliant news for Jack O'Connor. We've mentioned Jack O'Connor already. Is that um, Stefan um, Ockenbor? I hope I've pronounced that uh, properly. He's come home. He's left the G- uh, the Geelong uh, Cats. Um, he's with them for three years. He had some terrible luck out there um, with injuries. This is a serious player. Have you ever seen clips of this lad? I saw this uh, clips of him. Uh, the Geelong uh, Twitter account tweeted out when he joined them. Um, a lot of them are clips of him playing with his club. Plays midfield with his club. Can play anywhere in the backs. Can play full back, centre back, play, play wing back. 
Kerry are crying out for a, a centre-back. They also could badly do with a full-back because I don't think Jason Foley is, is that comfortable, you know, under a high ball, you know, if a, a team did want to launch one in. And I'd say Jack O'Connor can't believe his look. I'm wondering, has he had he any input in it? Um, he would have had um, Stefan at underage level. This fella, Zach too, he recently described him on the 42. Stefan is a total specimen. I've never seen an athlete like him. It's ridiculous. He's made out of granite. Um, I'd say Jack O'Connor can't believe his look. I, I don't know. I, I'd be far more inclined to believe that Jack O'Connor made a phone call or two. You think so? Um, you already met, yeah, I think so, because he worked with him already. And it was one of the first things that Rory Gallagher did was when he got the dairy job was he rang Connor Glass and he rang Anton Tohill um, and Callum Brown as well uh, and he had success with two of them um, so I, I think they just look at like the everything ahead of them and Jack O'Connor like I mean is, is, I think he's a mastermind everything he's done since 2012 has been like geared towards getting the carry job again working with the minors working with the under 20s so now that this crop has came through you can say that he, he has a relationship with these young players you can't say that he's not modern because he had success with them then he went to the senior job again just to prove that he can be successful there. Did as well as you could do with Kildare, getting him to the Leinster final and getting him promoted. Um, and now, like you say, he's already has a relationship with this fella. I mean, like just by looking at him, I don't want to make random comparisons because I haven't seen him like in a full, you know, 60 minute game or anything. But like with the athleticism and talking from the back, like a, like a sort of like an Oshin Mullen kind of uh, vibe, um, just really, really powerful and fast and athletic. And I mean, it's just from a Jerome perspective now. It's, it's it's scary to think you know what he, what uh, he'll bring to the table. But like yeah, Jack O'Connor, I I think he's been uh, mastermind in everything. Yeah, no, that maybe he maybe he did make the call. Yeah, I'm I'm sure he made a call to Mark O'Connor as well. But there's no getting him home. He'd be perfect uh, for midfield. Maybe an area they're looking for as well. It's definitely one to keep out for. But Jesus, I know you can't judge off clips, but this lad looks like a serious player. Um, you know, brilliant in the air as well. Really comfortable under a high ball, like I said, midfield for his club. So watch out for watch out for him. It's great to have him back playing uh, Gaelic football. Another one that slipped by slipped uh, under my radar until about an hour ago is Andy Moran. Looks like it's a done deal for him to manage Leitrim. That came a little yeah. bit out of left field. There was talk about him uh, managing Longford. He's joint manager of his of his club. Um, so I don't know. Like I mean, he's he's going to manage Leitrim. They're in Division Four now. They're relegated out of Division Three. They've won Division Four, so there is a potential in Leitrim to win Division Four. I'm going to talk next year, like we're in our new structure, right? So Andy Boren, first year with Leitrim, gets them to an All Ireland quarter final preliminary, which would be against the second or third placed Division Two team. So like I mean, you know, Andy Boren could have a sensational first. Uh, First year with Leitrim. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he could. Like, I, I think, I mean, obviously, you have no way of really knowing until he does it, but like, I, I have a feeling he would be a really good manager just based on the kind of player he is. Because the longevity he had, so much of it was based around like his cuteness, you know, his tactical awareness, like his runs off the ball and everything. Like, he just seems so, so astute and so intelligent. And you always hear that about um, the backs that mark him. He, he just finds ways, and or his runs are so, like, it's just so, so hard to mark, you know. I mean, you always imagine him then uh, coming in as like a forward coach or something, but like he, he seems to be really ambitious and he talked a lot in his podcast too about like wanting to be on a, uh, wanting to, uh, to coach and be a manager and stuff. So like this opportunities came up and, and with the new structure, like I think that with the structure as well, not to bring it up, but um, like new managers coming in, they must be going in with like a sense of, you know, excitement because like it's, it's, uh, 
it's like brand new for everybody, you know. So they're on sort of a level playing field, then you know they're not super inexperienced because no one else has experienced it as well. So you could see it as a as the best opportunity to come in just as, as a new manager with a different county, um, to give your first uh, rattle at at uh, county level management. And and if it doesn't go wrong, you can blame it. <laughs> yeah, well, no major intercounty experience, no re- joint manager, like I said, a club. One thing that really annoys me about Andy Moran, do you know what it is? He keeps asking no. himself questions. So, like, I mean, we'll talk, say you're asking Andy Moran about management. He said, would Andy Moran like to manage Leitrim? Of course he would. Does Andy Moran think it's time? Probably not now. Would Andy Moran like to do it in the future? Of course he would. <laughs> <laughs> never you ever notice him doing that? I've never, I'll, I bet it'll, it'll all, it's all I'll be able to hear now whenever I You should start doing that, Willie. Um, does Willie like plan A? Of course he doesn't. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Would Willie like C Plan B come in for sure? He'd go crazy if it doesn't come in. Um, last story here before we get into Edna McGinley uh, Lee is a twenty-year-old referee in Toronto. I thought this was funny. He's the bravest twenty-year-old in the country, maybe in the world, as a twenty-year-old to go into the bear pit that is Toronto Club football. Um, he's taken. He's uh, he credits Peter Canavan for giving him his break. Peter Canavan. No, I think his father was a referee. Um, his name is Martin Coyle and he refereed junior championship match of Errigal Ciaran and Cole Island um, last weekend. So he's right up into, into adult football. Jesus, imagine being a, a, an experienced 35-year-old junior player and a whippersnapper 20-year-old is telling you that you fouled someone and you said you didn't. Like, I mean, it's a brave place for him to be. Yeah, no, I mean, I have the utmost respect for him already. And he says he credits Peter Canavan, but he might be blaming him by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, 20 years old. I, I'd love to know, like, what, what his own playing career is. Like, I mean, what sort of, like, how, how do you get interested in that? You know, how did that evolve? Um, rather than going in as a coach or going in, um, obviously playing, because he's young enough to play. But he, he must just be really, just must love the GAA. And it's his way, and he is obviously officiating on the lanes and stuff from early on. And he, and he, and he got a taste for it. But I tell you one thing: if he starts this early, like I, I mean, by the time he's thirty-five, he'd have a wealth of experience and still be really young and healthy and fit. He could, I mean, the world's his oyster, I suppose, in terms of refereeing. And like, I'm never going to get out in an All Ireland day, but he might. Yeah, you know? he might. I'd love to referee. I've always said this: I'd like to referee. What I don't want to do is I don't want to start at the junior B level. I'd like to be fast tracked um, and do a good, intense six months course. And at the end of that, if a referee says, "Look, you're good enough." to go in and start uh, refereeing at least at senior club level for a year and then inter-county. I hate this serving your time at these crappy games and going to an under-12 match out in Feckin, wherever, and all that. I want a little bit more glamour to my refereeing than that. Um, you know, but it does interest me. I wouldn't mind refereeing. I, like, I, there's not that many ex-players that referee. David Sweeney, who I played with with Leash, he's, he's refing in, in club football in Dublin. Now, anyone that remembers David Sweeney playing for Leash, David Sweeney would leave you in a heap if he got a chance uh, with a box. So, you know, whether he turns, <laughs> whether his refereeing style is influenced by, you know, letting things go, you know, that's, uh, that's up for the way. Fergal Horgan, who he played for Tipperary, he's the best. He's the best referee at inter-county hurling at the moment. And it's not a surprise he has inter-county experience. Like, it's the perfect match, really, um, Lee. If you have that inter-county experience, you've played at the very, very highest level. And you're interested yeah. in refereeing. Yeah, I, I think so because, like, well, they'll know every trick in the book from all the levels all the way up. Um, they'll know how they like to be refereed and how they like to be, you know, treated. And they know what which one, which way they responded to referees in terms of, like, their manners and things. But, um, like, 
if you can compare it to people, there's a lot going on in the world of boxing at the minute, you know, about like judges and the referees and, and all the scandals and things there. And often what's put forward as a solution to that is having former boxers be the judges and former boxers be the referees. Um, especially because a lot of them, you know, they don't have careers after boxing and stuff. But like, I always thought that that would really help solve the problem because you have actual boxing men in the world of boxing. And this is actual GA men, you know, have played the sport and understand it from the bottom up in terms of playing and the rules and everything else. What you can do, what you can't do, what you shouldn't do and what you can get away with, like on the borderlines and stuff. Um, you know, they have it down to the T. So it just makes sense that they're the people that um, that, that go for it. And, and if they were, like, at least promised a, a, an opportunity to be fast-tracked, then maybe more would be interested. Because I'm sure, like, a county player wouldn't want to, like, go all the way down to Junior B and to just get abuse from everyone else and probably tell them about our fans and former players tell them that he actually wasn't very good in his <laughs> I played at the top level, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you, you'd, you'd be getting trash-talked by the players. Like, I mean, it would be complete, yeah. it would be complete mayhem. Maybe Larry McCarthy, there's something for you to do, Larry, you know, to make your mark. Set up a fast-track, um, high-intense... Uh, training course for ex-players who want to become referees six months and let us at it. Maybe that's something that you might be remembered for. Maybe, listen, I'm, maybe I'm being too hard on Larry and maybe he's going to come in behind my plan B and all will be forgiven. We'll, uh, we'll wait and see. We'll leave it there, Lee, and we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about um, the championship structures from an Antrim perspective with Enda, Enda McGinley. Okay, so we've talked a good bit about the championship restructures, so I want to talk to someone who is going to directly affect. We have Antrim uh, manager Enda McGinley on the line now. How's it going, Enda? Things are good, really. Things are good. So I suppose the first place to start with you, Enda, and this could end up being a very short conversation, is do you think the championship needs to change? (laughs) Yeah, I I would certainly welcome change, but it's it's trying to get it right. It's, it's It's a big, big move, and... I just, I would be hoping that we, we take the right path. Well, I suppose let's talk about the right path because obviously Special Congress is on October the 23rd and there's three options um, for the delegates to decide on. The Plan A involves moving counties around from different provinces um, to make up four provinces of eight. Um, the Plan B is a league-based championship where you flip the National League into the summer. Um, we'll talk about that a li- in a, a little bit, and then Plan C is to is to stay the same. Now, from reading around, the GPA have back Plan B, the league-based championship. Like I've done a poll on Twitter, and that's getting eighty percent um, support. Uh, you know, like I mean, which is a, which is a huge amount. Um, there doesn't seem to be much support for Plan A. I'm, w- I'm wondering which one you would kind of come down on. Yeah, I suppose uh, it's, it's probably not surprising, but again, B, I, I just, there's so much of A just doesn't make sense to me. I, I, I would love to hear, because obviously the, the people that put together these proposals, they thought long and hard. They spoke to many people. You could imagine the amount of meetings and, and teasing out of this that was done. So I'm sure there's there's a strong reasoning behind proposal A, but for me, I, I really struggle to see the benefits of it, if if we're looking at the weaknesses of the provincial system, and the 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 natural imbalances that are there when when we're just using the the, the geographical provinces to move the weakest team from Ulster into yeah. Connacht hardly weakens Ulster Championship, and it hardly strengthens the Connacht Championship. Equally, moving the two weakest from Leinster into Munster 
I, I just don't see how that in any way improves the quality or, or the quality of game you're going to be getting in them local provinces just by evening up eight teams in each. That that's not where the that that's not where the quality imbalance comes from for me. So again, if that's the main driver for proposal A and to maintain the provincial championships, the reason people are unhappy with the provincial championships or for those that are arguing change and it's largely outside of Ulster is is because the the provincial championships have lost their meaning. Moving about, shuffling about the weakest teams isn't going to improve that for, for my money. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think plan A should be completely taken off the table. I was saying it on the show here already that all it does is confuse things. It should be left with a straight option of plan B, which gets most of the support. You're completely right. It, the plan A doesn't improve all the hammerings that we, that we see in the provincials. All it does is even up the teams. That's the only thing it corrects. Um, but like I mean I, I would be in favour of plan A just being taken off because it, it'll confuse delegates and it'll think you know there, there's too, ma- too much for them to choose from so let's go with plan B then and uh, from like you're in division 3 next year so a situation in plan B is that the league moves as we know the league moves into the summer um, seven championship games against teams that in, are in your own division in your case you'll have to finish first in Division 3 to make a pre- pre- uh, preliminary All-Ireland quarter-final? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The, it actually, it potentially, I don't know what way they're working out the promotion. I've seen on one, one of the suggestions, and I think it's written down in paper, certainly the explanation whenever I was given it by, by a representative from Crook Park suggested that by winning the Talton Cup, would also gain you promotion in the league uh, from either four to three or to three to two, depending on, on what group. It'd be interesting to see how that affects the two league-based promotion slots. Does that, yeah. does that mean that three teams get promoted or is it still only two? Because That's sort of a, a interesting thing too. But I think that in, that type of inclusion of that sort of promotion gambit with the Talton Cup is a great way of, of increasing the value of the Talton Cup, whereas in the Proposal A, for me, it's just a, the Talton Cup needs to be just scrapped straight out of Proposal A because it's it's the eight weakest teams that only get there if you have had an absolute car crash of a season by being kicked out of your own province and losing all your games in Connacht, coming from an Antrim point of view, and then you're into a repeat, essentially, of a Division Four contest. So how, how that appeals or how that's supposed to appeal, or how that's supposed to develop them teams. I just, again, don't see it in terms of proposal A. But B, for me, the inclusion of both three and four teams, Division three and four teams in the Talton Cup, uh, means it's going to be a bigger competition, a bigger spread of ability level within that, and so a better chance for those teams to pit themselves against each other. So again, uh, the treatment of the Talton Cup and proposal B looks better for me and again that sort of touches on the thing of what is the reasons behind the changes like is it is it to try to help the weaker teams and to even up the thing or is it to help the weaker teams the so-called weaker teams by decreasing their chance of getting a hiding but leaving them in an absolutely wasteland of just uh, low quality games among teams purely of their own level without a huge chance of progression uh, and that's all about the treatment of the Talton Cup. My my worry I suppose is that Proposal A the provincial councils obviously will want Proposal A and I, I can understand that coming from their point of view but the strong for the stronger counties 
I, I think they'll pick proposal A as well because it gives them a better chance, a safer chance of reaching the latter stages of the senior championship. Whereas proposal B uh, leaves it a bit more on a knife edge for those sort of seven or eight big teams that are out there. I think proposal A looks a better bet, even though it doesn't do much for the weaker counties. So again, it's going back to what's our motivation here for these changes. Is it to help even up the playing field? And that means bringing up the the teams that are currently at a lower level or is it just to give the, the big teams better chances, in which case it's going to be Proposal A? So uh, I'm not sure Proposal A is dead in the water, unfortunately. I think for the big hitters that are around, Proposal A still holds uh, certain advantages. Right. Like, I mean, uh, for, for let's go back to P- Proposal B for a minute, because, like, for me, Proposal B ticks every box in that... Provincials remain. We'll get to the Ulster Championship now in a minute. Then you play seven. What, what I think needs to be fixed is obviously the hammerings. You play seven championship games, league-based championship games, home and away, against teams at your own level. You have seven meaningful championship games. And like you were talking about then, the 14 teams that don't finish first in three and four, they go into the Talton Cup. And obviously there's that carrot of getting promoted. That maybe needs to be ironed out. You also have the situation if you get promoted from Division 3 or 4, you're moving up a division for the following year. So everybody has that chance. Everyone has a chance to play for Sam Maguire. Division 3 team can come and be the the third or or the second or third place team in Division 2 in a quarter final, in a preliminary quarter final. And now, you you know, you're into a big, huge game. Like, it's nearly ticking every single box for counties. Like, players are crying out for more meaningful championship games, games that matter, instead of a, you know, knockout and a backdoor this is for me. It's I. I don't see. I don't see any weaknesses in it. End. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Like from from your point of view, and and you're sort of preaching the converted look. For for me at the minute, football is in a brilliant, brilliant place. The game itself. Well, I would quibble with a few rules, but the game itself. I, I think it's in a phenomenal stage at the minute. Uh, I think every man and the dog knows that the league foot the league because of the even matches. It is fantastic competition. Like you're you're talking right into the the fifth sixth round of the league before you really know where teams can be, and often teams are one game away from being right at the top end of the league or right in the bottom end of the league. You put that into you. So take Division One, the, the level of teams that are competing there, and yet only five of them are going to be into the the the, the final rounds of the championship. The two are going to be out, and then that third bottom team is going to be left sort of in a no man's land where they don't get relegated, but they're out of the championship. Like it's just so the competitive level of them games. Plus, they're they're going to be in summer. They're going to be in great conditions in the summer. People able to travel around. Like I think you could the the scheduling of them games. You could schedule them out over maybe even if there was two teams, two a derby or something. You could put that in a Friday evening, then a Saturday, Sunday from a TV point of view from a people travelling around the country viewing them level of games with real, real stuff on the line. I, I th- honestly, I think it would be absolutely fantastic and apply that right down through the divisions as long as the coverage is 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 sort of evened out a wee bit. I think absolutely brilliant. There's a couple of issues for me. It's that could, if it's really marketed right, I think that could raise massive money in terms of for the county boards. Where is that money yeah. going to be? It wouldn't be particularly keen that that's just recycled right back into the, the teams again. I, I think we, we need to be looking at putting a cap in terms of particularly the top-end teams, how much money is is being through at them. Uh, 
So again, the, the, the B Championship from a football point of view, from a fan point of view, from a player point of view, it has brilliant football at the right time of year, even match teams. Uh, as I say, there's a wee bit greater risk for the top teams in, in terms of the, the number of them that qualify for the quarterfinal stage. And I think that might carry a few votes here and there. Uh, but certainly from a from a quality of our game point of view, I'd agree with you absolutely. Proposal B has it from from every level, bar the potential uh, loss of the glory of the provincial championships. That's the thing, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. But one thing that is very frustrating from a football point of view is that the hurling championship starts off with Division One teams playing each other all the time, the Munster League and the Leinster League. Football takes a back seat almost until All-Ireland quarterfinals, provincial final stage. Now, obviously, there's some go- a couple of good games um, in Ulster, definitely was this year. But football is a poor relation. Everyone's talking about the hurling. Oh, it's fantastic. And then, you know, the Munster Championship is terrible. Leinster, Connacht, you might have one kind of good game in it. Like, even from that point of view, that football is losing its place in the GA calendar because hurling is run off a league with the top teams playing each other all the time in, in both provinces. Like even, even for that reason, we need to see more big games in football early in the championship. Absolutely. And going back to Proposal A, it, it only probably worsens that yeah. situation where you have the likes of Kerry playing uh, some of the lower teams in Munster and then the weakest teams in Leinster in their group. Like a complete wasted month of, of, of activity that doesn't really do much to appeal. So, uh, yes, so it's if it's appeal of the game again. I, I think proposal B has that has that benefit, uh, and I think it 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 creates greater opportunities in terms of uh, the the lower level teams sort of improving again. Uh, but I'd, I'd absolutely agree with you. It it means that throughout the championship season, which would be national league and championship, that that obviously would be one championship. You're dealing with really really good quality games at every level of the game right from first whistle to, to last it would be uh, uh, honestly I think it would be a massively exciting competition uh, massively competitive uh, so yes for look uh, as I said at the start uh, B has definite advantages for me I think there is some fairness quibbles about which teams get into the quarterfinals, so how that maybe Division 3 and 4 slots are getting quarterfinal slots ahead of some of the Division 1 things. Uh, and so I'd agree with others that have said none of them appear to be perfect, but for me, as in terms of a starting point that we can maybe iron out and, and adapt over the years, I think I think B, B has it for me if we're, yeah. if, if, if we're going to change. If, if you want, like, but it, it's all relative too. Like, I mean, it's relatively harder for Antrim to top Division 3 or for, you know, another Limerick to top Division 3 than it is for a Division 1 team to become fifth place. Do you know what I mean? So if you want to make it fair, it's all relative. You know, it, 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 you can't compare a, a Limerick with a, a Donegal, for example, because, you know, they're in different divisions. But relatively, both have a very similar challenge to make, you know, those knockout uh, stages. I'd say one thing that, that could scupper this, and it's the Ulster Championship end, because we know the Ulster Championship is the one championship that's not suffering if anything, it's getting stronger. We have Derry into the mix now. We have Armagh into the mix that look, you know, like they're pr- two very serious teams to challenge Monaghan, Tyrone, Donegal. So, look, it's an exciting championship. And the Ulster Championship is worried that if it's pulled away, if the Provincial Championship is separated from the All-Ireland Series, it would lose 
you know, it's uh, it's it's appeal. And I saw it, I saw it described in some places as a pre-season tournament, like such a thing to call a provincial championship. Anyways, like why can't this just be? Why would it be called a, a warm-up competition? There's only two cups all year a team can win: their province and an All Ireland. Do you think teams, the top teams, would be throw, would be putting out bogey teams in an Ulster Championship when when there's only two cups that can potentially win the whole year? Yeah, I, I don't think so. And I think, uh, look, first and f- I can fully uh, see where people are coming from, and certainly for myself, there is a real double-edged sword to this. Like as I say, I've been back in Proposal B for quite a while, but a few years ago, I mind being sitting in Clonus. Uh, and obviously at that stage everybody's talking about the provincial championships need to go and whatnot. but I was sitting in Clonus maybe for an Ulster semi-final match maybe Calvin Armagh I think it was and it was summer day huge crowd in the atmosphere the build up to the game such an even game which we have so many of them in Ulster and you're really thinking like to, to really lose this would be a massive massive loss uh, because it's hard to see the likes of one of them a uh, National League games essentially as they would be getting 30,000 getting 30, 35,000 at it if you know what I mean now maybe if it was again with time and build up it, it, it might get consistently high numbers but it's hard to get that huge sense of occasion that the likes of the Munster Hurling Championship and the Ulster Football Championship still was able to get like next year obviously there's no Division 4 teams in Ulster uh, Fermanagh were very recently in Division 2 so you're dealing with a really high quality thing that has loads of history all them the history of all them matches the history of the great performances the yeah. the rivalries everything like that it well, is the, a, a huge you, price to pay but for do me you, do you think that would be a price to pay that we still have the Ulster Championship now I remember when Tyrone and Ar- when you were playing against Armand and Audis you were looking at 20,000 at a McKenna Cup game and that yeah. was a that, that was a warm up competition like you're crazy up there for going to see matches and rivalries do you think if the if the provincial championship is played in March and it's the first competition we have all year you wouldn't have had any Gaelic football for maybe five six months since the previous year's All Ireland inter county. Do you think the Ulster Championship will lose that rivalry, that excitement, that oh we're back playing now? You know, do you do you, do you think it will it will lose that? The, the the problem is there's no there's nothing that comes of an Ulster title. Obviously now an Ulster title is one is your direct route into the quarter final and progression in the in the Ulster Championship progresses you on in the All Ireland Championship. So there is that to it. Yeah. Progression in the National League is obviously your key sort of progression progression marker as a team. So both main competitions at the minute have key pro- progression markers. They are our key things to to win the Ulster Championship. You would hope out of tradition that it continues to really mean something to win it. And I suppose again that goes back to the provincial councils in terms of their their marketing of it and how you build up. And I think for the Ulster teams. The, the the big benefit there is I would fully agree with you. I think the interest remains massive. I think the the preseason competition, as you say, up here continues to get huge crowds, even though it's very much just trial teams and, and taken really as glorified uh, challenge matches. The Ulster Championship would probably be played at a higher level than that. So I'd have no doubt that it would uh, get good crowds, that it would get good interest for the teams themselves. It would give the Ulster teams a benefit because it gives them a much better preparation for yeah. then a really tough a divisional campaign and in, in, in over their respective league campaign so from from that end i think actually ulster teams could stand to benefit by having the ulster championship as their preparation for the all ireland championship because it would be much closer in level to what they get now in really tough league campaigns preparing you for championship 
yeah. the Ulster teams would have the Ulster Championship to prepare them for Championship Portuguese and would could could be a really good preparation for that. So there is benefits there, but I I, I can see how it, without a doubt, no matter what way you, you slice it up or present it, I think losing that provincial championship in its glory spot in the summer with a real meaningful result of winning it and, and getting your progression in the Learning Championship, no matter how you, you present that, it is going to take a hit back but yeah. we're going to lose something. And for me, dividing it up into two groups of four and kicking one of your provincial teams out of your own province, I think that weakens it too. Uh, so for me, no matter what, the provincial championships are going to be slightly uh, slightly hit from from either proposal A or proposal B. Proposal B probably hits it a bit more, but it's listen, it's for the greater good as well. I think overall the game is better. Overall, the competitions are better, and for the teams within it, and for the fans within it, I think Proposal B still holds out. So yes, the Ulster Championship, I think, would lose a wee bit from it, with without a doubt. Yeah, but in I, the overall yeah. picture, uh, I think B still still comes out on top. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I'm not trying to argue that it would be as good as it would be during the summer, but I think it still can be a very a very good competition. You know, it's very ironic with you boys up in Ulster. You complained for years that Kerry have a handy way into an all Ireland semi-final, and now we're giving them as difficult a way into an all Ireland semi-final as he, and now you're complaining about that. You want to keep your difficult way into an all Ireland quarter-final. Uh, look, <laughs> any way you want to put anything, we will find a reason to feel as if we're being put out. That's that's her saggy. No, look, absolutely. I think the, the key thing is the more times you can be in a learning semi-final as a big team, the more likely you are to win it. If if you get there as an Ulster team, uh, you're, you, you always know that you're well prepared for it. Uh, and certainly that was always our mindset too. The problem was that there was plenty of years that you didn't make it that length because of the traditional nature up above. Like if Donegal and Monaghan could get there as often as Kerry, I'm pretty sure that they would have a few All-Ireland titles, a few more All-Ireland titles to their name. Uh, so I think it's it's the, it's your chance of reaching that penultimate stage because if you get there, then one or two big performances get see the title, as with Tyrone this year. And the straight knockout championship uh, undoubtedly helps that. But uh, yeah, look, we'll always find a wee way to, to have a crib against somebody. <laughs> Come here before I let you go. What's going on in Tyrone? Um, you know the the health um, the health department up there has allowed dressing rooms open. The GA have allowed dressing rooms open, and for some reason, individual county boards are keeping the uh, dressing rooms closed. Can can you make sense of that for me? I really can't understand it. I was fearing for own club players. I was up uh, at at Ergel's game last Sunday, and it was lashing rain from start to end of that game. And the players at halftime were standing out in the middle of the pitch. It, and honest, the rain was biblical. So, COVID mightn't be an issue, but I'm pretty sure you could lose a few players to 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 good old pneumonia very quickly if if. I really don't understand the reason. Like all the other things, like you're going into restaurants and bars and shops, yeah. everything else is becoming more relaxed, and yet somehow the the dressing room is 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 sacrosanct. So I don't know. I would be hoping that uh, some sense would very quickly come to that bargain because it's it's not fair on players when the weather's changeable and the weather's getting cold uh, to to not have the facility there when when 
everybody else is is moving that direction and they're they've been cleared to do it by the experts so yeah we all were quoting this thing i will follow the science follow the science but suddenly now we're we're just deciding no we know better so it's it's a wee bit frustrating again i would fully trust the people in charge that they're they're doing what they feel is best but uh, from a player's point of view and from a team's point of view i think it'd be great for them to to get to to get back to another step of of normality that, yeah, that's the thing. And like I suppose, like you're saying, that it, we're down to 13 degrees now. That's no joke. And you're getting drowned at both training and at games. It's actually a health risk, like you're saying, to not have them open and get a warm shower. Like, I mean, it's dangerous. It's literally dangerous. And you're being allowed by the health authorities. And for, I, I don't know, this is only an issue in a few counties um, in Ulster. I, I think it's Antrim, um, County, you imagine, Tyrone, um, one or two more. That are doing this, it's just it's a head scratcher because, uh, like, I mean, <laughs> I just can't get my head around it. I thought maybe there might be some. They, uh, I think they're talking about keeping players safe or something. Like, since when is it a GA's administrator's job to keep their members safe? Yeah, no, absolutely, and just just being able to go in and change after a game, just the, all of that there. Like, and you're coming into big championship games. Like, club football means so much to boys up here uh, or to everybody up here. And that ability to go into the dressing room, to change properly, to have a proper team talk in the dressing room, to go in afterwards, to shower, to change, like all of that, that's mm-hmm. a massive part of the game. And to have them change for, have them locked for for pretty obscure reasons at the minute uh, when everybody else is, is being allowed and all other sports are doing it and there's no major incidents from it, uh, just uh, it is frustrating whenever... Uh, sort of, of 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 a whim, we sort of make these decisions, and uh, and then we be really pedantic about sticking to certain decisions whenever the science isn't particularly there. And uh, like we've all had to do quite a bit of that over the past year and a half. But you'd be hoping that we're moving on, and please God, the numbers keep going in the right direction. But uh, as I uh, look, I'm in agreement with you. I can't understand that at the minute, but I'd be hoping it'll be revisited uh, fairly sharpish. We're starting the championship this weekend up here, uh, and I think for teams to treat. To treat it as well as we can treat it, uh, I think the dressing room should should be open. One final point, obviously, as a, an inter-county manager, like from my memory, like you finish a hard training session. I don't know what it is, but there's a really relaxed bit of crack in the dressing room afterwards and there's crack in the shower. It's it's almost like a relief that the, the hard session's over and you can have a bit of chat. Almost a bit of team bonding suffers from players just d- scattering in different directions to cars. Oh, absolutely. Like for, for any of us or for all of us that were lucky enough to be part of any teams, be it club or county, that bit of crack before the training and afterwards is probably the biggest bit that kept us going. The training yeah. itself could be plenty <laughs> of times it, it wasn't too enjoyable or, or inspiring being there. Uh, but certainly uh, getting in getting into the dressing room before and afterwards and a bit of crack and ever like that's it's a huge part of our game. And yes, we have lost it this last while. We understand that. Uh, but even look, uh, a warm shower on a cold night means a heck of a lot too for, for a lot of boys, and uh, I think I think it would be it would be nice to take that step again. And uh, thanks very much. I won't keep you any longer. Thanks for taking the call. No problem, Willie. Chat to you again. Great stuff from Ender there. Right, that's it for today. We'll be back on Monday as usual, and we'll review all the club action, and we might talk to someone from. Jeez, uh, I was going to say Ballygunner there again from the Waterford from the Waterford County Champions. We'll get somebody, whoever that's going to be. See you all on Monday. Good luck. No such thing as a media ban. We don't have a media ban. Ah, you do? No, we don't. A donkey eat and a donkey eat a palace. <laughs> There's nothing else to eat. He was massive. <laughs> Legs, ass, filth. But I burst out laughing about <laughs> <laughs>